Let's give the Lord an applause. Let's give him a Lord of Yeah. We can do better than that. Let's give the Lord a great applause this morning. Woo! It's a good day. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. It's a good day to be together. And I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad I get to be, be here. And so I'm just going to say, I haven't been here for a long time. I'm going to say hello to everybody. Hello. Some of you do not know who I am, so let me just introduce you, uh, myself to you. Uh, I am Tim Gephardt, one of the associate ministers here at Plainfield Christian Church, and I've uh, been uh, privileged of being the campus minister at the Plainfield Christian Church Reunion Campus, which meets at the middle school uh, at 10 o'clock worship, and they are just about ready to finish up over there. So uh, they all bring greetings to you all, and I'll take them back next week when I'm back there. But that's who I am, and been privileged to be on staff here for about 23 years. Wow. I got old real quick, like, like just like that. It just got old all of a sudden. But anyway, it is good. I mean, did you get through the holidays, crazies? Did you get through that? And your head still spinning and school starts? Sorry I said that, kids. Sorry, the school starts tomorrow. All the parents can say? Amen. Uh-huh, so you know how that goes. Everybody, everybody just enjoys that a lot. And just, that, that just getting back to normal routine. But man, we can, we can get so focused in on life. We miss a lot of stuff in life. I mean, we get so, you know, we got to do this, we got to get to this game, we've got to get our kids here, we've got to get this schoolwork. Oh, mom, I got to have this for this project. Oh, you should have told me that two weeks ago, but no, you told me the night before. And you get so, so distracted with life that we do miss a lot of things that go on around us, especially when it comes to things of God. We get so distracted about things that most of the time really don't matter, that we don't even see that God is actually intricately working in our life, in our world, in our homes, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in our community, and you can expand it as far as you want to. God is actually, actually working, and the question is, do I see it? Do I care to see it? Do I acknowledge it? Do, do, I, do I allow what God is doing, what God has done, what God is doing to affect my life in any way? There's moments that, uh, that as, we, as we think and as we study scriptures that they just, uh, they're big moments. They're like aha moments. Moments that captivate you. When, when something is revealed that you didn't know before and all of a sudden it's like, wow. I didn't, I didn't know that, and it's just this moment of encounter that changes everything. As a matter of fact, an aha moment is, is a moment that, that really, after you discover it, you don't stay on the same path. You either go left or you go right. You change uh, what you're doing. In, in other words, aha moments, for some of you, when you came to realize that you're a sinner and that you needed Jesus, it was an aha moment. It was this moment of your own mind and your own soul, everything about you that I, I need I need Jesus who died on the cross for my sake, for my sins to be forgiven. Aha, I need to do something. I need to make a decision. I didn't need, need to be immersed into him. I, I need to make these decisions. It's a change, of course. But they can also be small things. Aha moments, like when you come home and all of a sudden you hear your spouse slam a door or a cabinet and you hear him just grumble. You, you usually have an aha moment of, oh, they're mad at me right? It's an aha moment. Or, or you lose your keys and you're trying to, where is that? And all of a sudden you, you go searching for your keys because you need them. It's this aha moment. Or, or maybe you took something home from work uh, the night before and thought you'd take a look at it. And the next morning you get up and you, you get ready, you hop in the car and you drive to work and you get to work and you go, oh no, 
And it's still a home. And now it's like, ah, what am I going to do? And you have this whole moment of, of trying to discover what are my next steps. You see, Jesus teaches aha moments of things that are life-changing. He teaches it in, in parables. He says, the kingdom of God is, is like a man who finds a treasure in a field. Aha. That's an aha moment, right? Here's this treasure, incredible treasure. And when he finds it, he buries it again, runs home, sells everything he has. I'm pretty sure he had to convince his wife on that one. No, you can't sell that. That's my mother's. No, we're selling it anyway. Sell it. Get it ready. We got to sell Why? Because there's a treasure that is incredible. It's worth everything that I have to be given away, to be sold away in order that we have this treasure. That is an aha moment. Nothing about Jesus is trivial. As a matter of fact, an aha moment is not trivia. It's not a moment where you go, oh, I never knew that before. Hmm. That's more of a hmm moment. Too often in church, too often in our walk of discipleship, we have more hmm moments. Meaning, I've gained a little bit more information. I really don't have to make a decision about that information. It's just this information for information's sake. And if you're like all the rest of us, we're on information overload. You get blogs this, you get this text, you get this information, so-and-so's doing it. You should read this, you should read that, and it's just like overwhelming. So one bit more of information about Jesus is just more, unfortunately for us, more of a hmm than an aha. You see, as we read and you go through this, this, this part of Scripture and in, in the, in the church calendar year of Epiphany, it's, it's a time of discovery. And I don't know about you, but there are times, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you may look through the stories of Jesus and go, I know all those. I'm going to tell you right now, if you respond that way, then it's time for your, your soul and my soul to become awakened. We need aha. We need something, not an emotional response, but we just need to allow the truth to, to confront us and move us and shape us. Because that's what Christ does. When, when anybody encountered Jesus, that's what occurred. Matthew chapter 3. We're going to take a look at the first aha moment. Matthew chapter 3. If you're going to open your Bibles to that, the 13th verse through the 17th verse is what we're going to read at the beginning. We're actually going to work our way all the way through verse 11 of chapter 4. So you can kind of take a look at that. Stay there. It's interesting. Chapter 2 of Matthew begins with the Magi. Just a few weeks ago was Christmas, right? Magi came, Jesus is about two years of age. When you begin to read Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, Jesus is no longer 2, but 30. There's a gap there. There's silence. There's nothing there. There's been a lot of folks who've tried to, to, to gesture what may have happened. There's traditions that have been spoken of Jesus being older than 2 and some things he did. But really, Scripture shares no, no light on this gap of silence. But what we see in Matthew 3, verse 1, is John the Baptist. John, this prophet that God has called, John, Jesus' cousin, John, the son of Elizabeth, also born of parents that were, were old and shouldn't be having children anymore, but yet here, here's John showing up on the scene for a specific purpose, and that's to prepare the way for Jesus. I'm sure he thought he knew Jesus. He, he probably, in the midst of that, we can gesture that they had spent some time together, probably playing together, hanging out together, you know, hey, Jesus is my cousin, and just having a good time, whatever. I'm sure that, that John and Jesus didn't get in trouble like I did with my cousins, if you know what I'm talking about. You know, cousins are that you go visit cousins and then get in trouble. I'm sure that didn't occur with, with the two of them. Um, so uh, John probably got blamed for everything. That's all I can say. I don't know. 
probably wasn't fair, but John probably took it. Like, I know, he's son of God, I'm not, that's okay. Um, anyway, this John, I mean, he, he had some understanding. I'm sure that his mom, Elizabeth, would tell him over and over again the story of Jesus, the virgin birth. Now Mary came and lived with them. I'm sure John, growing up, knew and had an understanding, because even in the wilderness, he understood that, that Jesus, and they even classified him later as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. That was a great understanding that no one else at that time had ever understood about Jesus. And even John, as he, he knew and he preached in this desert, and unique to say the least himself and what he wore, what he ate, and preached in the wilderness, not in the synagogues, not in the city, but the people who longed to hear truth came out, and he called them to repent, and he baptized them for the forgiveness of their sin. And it was something that day in and day out, he would confront his culture with the need to come back to God. John, in his mind, thought Jesus was going to come back. And basically, if you read verses 11 and 12, you would see that John anticipated Jesus coming back as one of a judge. One who would bring the winnowing and, and separate the good from the evil. That's in John's perception. And so when this day of chapter 3, verses 13, something different happens that turns John's world just a little upside down. Read, follow along with me, if you will. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And when John tried to debtor him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son. Whom I, <clears throat> whom I love, with him I am well pleased. On this day of preaching for John, Jesus showed up out of nowhere. Jesus hadn't been around. Jesus had left Galilee, came into the Jordan for the specific reason of being baptized by John. John was undone. John couldn't believe here Jesus was, was coming into a public place to be acknowledged of, of who he was to some degree, and yet John did not expect Jesus to want to be baptized. Why would Jesus need to be baptized? He's the holy son of God. He's fully God. He's fully man. There's no sin in him. Why would, this need, why would he need to do this would be one thing that John is wrestling with. The second is this. Jesus comes in a role of submission. This isn't, Jesus, how this is supposed to play out. You're supposed to come as judge. You're supposed to come and tell everybody what to do. You're supposed to come in your royal power and, and, and oversee and kick Rome out. You're supposed to raise the Jewish nation back to its rightful place. Jesus, this is it, submission. And yet this was the heart of our Jesus. It's an aha moment even for us. That this is the heart, is, is Jesus' heart. He's humble. He's not arrogant. He's not proud. He is simply, simply the son of God who has come to this earth to serve. And in his humility, John wrestles with him. Wrestles with this idea that you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be baptized. You, I, I shouldn't do this. You should do this to me. I'm the, John knew he was the sinful one. And yet, Jesus replies to him with this. This is a good thing. It's to fulfill all righteousness. You see, Jesus didn't have to be baptized. 
but he willingly was baptized because he knew it was the right thing to do and what the God the Father wanted him to do. It was the right, righteous. It was good before God. It was good before, before those who were there. It was good for us to see the submission of God into immersion and baptism that, that Jesus took upon himself. This heart of submission and humility was the same one that took him to the cross. It was the same thing that he started his ministry, that he finishes his ministry. And it's this heart that Jesus has that begins this aha moment for John to understand it. And John baptizes him. You see, because Jesus came in order that we would have life. That's, that's what he did. And it began even at this moment. He needed to make sure that every I was dotted and every T was crossed. Because if anything was left undone, then his sacrifice would not be sufficient. John was confused with Jesus' identity, just like we are today. Who is this Jesus? What role does he play in my life today? Who, who, do, who does the world say he is? It's the full of scriptures. It's basically for, for us the answer is that question of who Jesus is. And it's in the middle of this encounter, in the middle of John trying to wrap his head around this, and when Jesus comes up out of the water, is a moment that hadn't happened before, I can guarantee you that. John, in his whole life, had never had the full Godhead present in front of him. Never before in all, all of this, John's had this experience of where, where Jesus God in flesh is standing in front of him. The heavens open up, meaning that there's some physical form of the heavens, the, uh, the cloud formations or whatever it was, took some form that was knowledgeable that something from above was responding to something that just had occurred on earth. That that which had not been seen all of a sudden was being seen by humanity. And it says the spirit of God comes down him like a dove. The Holy Spirit now takes some other form itself. And then out of all of this then we hear the voice of God the Father. Now you're talking about an aha moment. In all of our faith journey a lot of times we don't have something so grand as John did. But we do have, we do have the scriptures we do have this, this important declaration that answers this question. And by faith, do I trust in God's own testimony of who Jesus is? Because the Jesus, because the world calls Jesus, I mean, he's just a good man. He has some great teaching. He tells you to go love people. And love is the new God in our culture. I don't know if you've caught that yet. It's the, it's the new God. God is love. Our world would agree with that because love is the God. There's another sermon, another conversation. We've switched it. We've, we've taken God out of the equation. But in this case, what we see here, what we see is that, 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 that God is declaring so that we may know who he is. And it's interesting. This is what he says. There's three things. I, I'm sure you caught that. This is my son. He could have said a lot of things about Jesus, but when you say, this is my son, it's a relational attachment. This isn't a son. This isn't someone else's son. This is my son. And when you say, my son, it means it's a part of me. When you call someone your son or daughter, it automatically means it's a part of you. Have you caught that? God the Father, fully God, is saying, this is my son. He is from me. He came from me. He is fully me. He is full of, of, of the, the, the fullness of the Godhead is rested in Jesus himself. And my, it's personal. It's a sense of he, he belongs to me. And not only that, but we see that God in his second response is that I love him. 
God's emotional. I don't know if you've ever thought of God being emotional. And maybe that's not hot for you this, moment, this morning. That God has emotions. And God has a specific emotion towards all creation and towards us, but towards his son. He says, man, I love him. This is, this is my son who I love and that I'm very proud of. I'm proud because right now he, 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 we are working in conjunction with each other. The three in one in unity, we are carrying this, this plan of salvation out before your very eyes. I'm proud of my son who's submitting now and who's going to carry this out to death on the cross. I, I, am, I am proud of my son's willingness in spite of being God, left this, this realm and proud that, that he is willing to come and to willingly die in order that all of this can be restored. He's proud of the fact that this, this is going to happen. That that, that that which separates man from God will be no more. And we'll redeem them back to ourselves. You're talking about a lot of pride. That's my son, the father's saying. I love him. I'm proud of him. You know, I find it interesting in our own humanity isn't that something we would love to hear? I, w- I wish we all had, you know, incredible parents, but we don't. We don't, and a lot of us ne- grew up, you, d- you never heard, I love you. You didn't hear those words, but your soul, for some reason, longed to hear from a parent that you, you were loved by them. You longed to be, be a parent, to be proud of you. You just want to hear a dad goes, man, I'm just proud of you. Proud of who you are. Proud of what you've done. And I'll tell you, parents, right now, you got kids in here. You got kids up, up, and, up running around here somewhere today. Tell them you're proud of them. Don't let this day go by that you don't say, I mean, I just love you. I want you to know I love you. Because what happens is this. You instill in them a foundation of identity. And that's exactly what God is doing with Jesus here. There's a stability that allows me to stand. And you can throw anything at me. But when I'm stable in my identity of who I am, my mom and dad, they love me. They're proud of me. And they own me. I don't mean like, oh, no. In other words, we belong together. That's what I mean by that. We're together. I know in teenage years, you're going, we don't want to be together. We want to be apart. <laughs> and I know you push. And again, that's a normal part of growing up. But there's also a part of you in your soul that's still going, but I still belong to them. And it's still good. Even as adults with mom and dads, right? There's still that connection. You see, see in this text... I, I'm not, I can't tell you why God at this moment declares for all to hear who Jesus is. This moment that awakens in them. This is God's son. This is God in the flesh. I don't know if it was for John's purpose so that he would be strong and continue on his mission to prepare the way or whether it was for Jesus. Because Jesus was also fully man and that part of him that, that wrestled with inside of himself, this identity foundation was valuable, especially about, because what was coming next. Because this is our Jesus, the one who, who, who is, uh, that we follow, the one that we serve, and the one who suffered just like we suffer. He wasn't void of pain. He wasn't void of agony. He wasn't void of, of any of the stuff that we feel like we, we deal with. But Jesus went from the mountaintop into the valley, and he began to fight and to wrestle with the evil one. Matthew 4, follow along if you would. I'm going to run through this text, touch on a few points. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God and tell these stones to become bread, Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Did you notice what Satan attacked? Jesus, for 40 days, his body is screaming for fleshly desires. I need food. I need water. I, I I I want to talk. Imagine 40 days of being in isolation all alone. I need to talk to somebody. I need someone to help me along. I need, I need somebody to, to, just that I can talk to, some humanity. He, he, on every level, he would have been screaming for something. And when Satan shows up he, in this flesh, he could have said, hey, why don't you just make some bread out of those rocks? But he didn't start there, did he? Did you notice where he started? If you are the son of God. Identity. Jesus, are you really who you think you are? Do you really believe that's who you are? Well, if you think that's who you are, I, I don't believe that's who you are, so you, you probably should prove it to me that's who you are. You see, Satan knew that if he, if he could just attack this identity of Jesus in a small way, skosh. Because even in Jesus' mind, if Jesus was like, well, I know who I am. I'm gonna prove it to you who I am. I'll prove it to you. I'm gonna, that's all it would take. And he would sin against the Father. Because knowing who you are and having confidence in the faith of who you are and trying to prove who you are are two different things. When I have to prove who I am, it tells me I'm not convinced that's who I am. It means I'm not sure that's who I am. It means I'm going to give it. And that Satan knew that that identity was an area in his mind that he was going to attack. Are you really God's son? Or does he really love you? Is he really proud of you? And if you stop and think, those are the same things that Satan the accuser does with us. Don't you realize in all the temptations you face, he begins by attacking your identity. He begins by attacking the foundation of who you think you are in your core And he begins to try to convince you, does God really love you? Yeah, Jesus did that thing on the cross, but I'm not sure it really covers you. You know, he knows what you did this week. Are you you kidding me? You think his grace is that strong? Do you think his blood would? I'm I'm not going to go any farther because Satan, I don't want him to have a spot in your ear right now and to begin whispering things he's already whispered in your mind. But I want you to know the truth of what Jesus dealt with. What Jesus had, I I, I truly believe that what occurs in chapter 3, when God comes down, I truly believe that God the Father was telling Jesus, the fullness of Jesus, Jesus the Son of God, Jesus the man in flesh, listen, you need to know who you are. You are truly my son I love and I'm proud of. Don't forget it. And we in our struggle need to remember that we have been called children of God, that God has lavished on us and that God has given us in 1 John 3, 1. And that is what we are. There's an emphatic statement here that is being proclaimed. We cannot forget this. 
That is who we are. And Jesus battles. Jesus is our warrior here in the desert. Jesus is fighting Satan, the evil one, just as we fight him. And Jesus is overcoming him. And Jesus is using truth. Jesus is using principles that we can learn from. So let's learn from a few. Here's three. Of course, we can't, preachers can't go past three. We only, you know, we get stuck right there. Here's three. Jesus battled lies with truth. It's kind of obvious, right? He's going, hey, are you really... And Jesus comes back and he goes, every man, I don't need to make this in the, in the, in the food. I don't need, I'm hungry, but I'm not going to meet that need that way. I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to trust God the Father. I will live. My nourishment, my sur- ability to survive has everything to do with the word of God. Jesus was telling us about the life. This brings life. Jesus was talking about the words that were spoken through the prophets. I also believe that Jesus was talking about those very words I truly believe for 40 days that the words spoken, you are my son, Jesus. I love you. I'm proud of you. And Jesus would think, I can do this. I'm his son. He loves me. He's proud of me. I can do this. He was feasting, holding, grasping on to the very words and I'm telling you right now, if you're out there, we're struggling with sin, because you if you're breathing, you're struggling with sin, Satan is tempting you, and he wants to destroy, he wants to tear you apart from God, he wants to break down what God's building up, and I'm telling you right now, the truth of God is gonna reveal those lies, but if you aren't anywhere close to this, if you're not taking this in, if you're, if you're not even dealing with this outside of, if this is your only biblical or Bible experience is when you hear somebody talk about it, then you are not using what God has given you. You're not, you're not hungering for what God said to put that in your life because that's the only way when you bring the truth into the, your heart and your mind and it transforms you, you're able to distinguish God, Satan's lies and be able to stand up. Two, Jesus battled not only the lies with truth, but he battled the doubt with fear. You see Satan, again, trying to get this doubt in there. If you throw yourself off, he'll catch you. He wanted him to just simply say this. Hey, Jesus, you're, you know, you're about ready to go into this, this ministry. You're about ready to go into this thing. And can you really trust God to take care of you? Jesus, you know, if you're going to die on the cross, you're going to be buried. Are you going to trust your father that he's going to be true to his word and resurrect you in three days? Are you going to be able to trust him? Maybe you should put your toe in the water. Maybe you should just try God out. Maybe just throw, because, you know, he said if you jump off, the angels will come down. They'll protect you. You're not going to get hurt. Just try, because you never know. Jesus, and Jesus responded in the sense of saying, I don't need to test my father. I know my father. I know my father does what he says. I know my father keeps his promises. And when we read through scriptures, he's a, he's a keeper of the, of, of the scripture and the promises. And we need to have faith in God. We need to remember what he's done in our past and apply it to the to present. Third, Jesus battled division with faithfulness. You see, Satan wants to divide. He wants you to convince all of us that a disciple is one who attends church and then goes and lives life as if God doesn't exist. That's the definition. That's, that's how high the mark is as far as Satan is concerned. He'll let you get away with that. Satan says, no, you can't serve two masters. 
You can't pretend. You can't, you can't pull that off. And you may think, well, I'm fooling everybody at church. Yeah, you're fooling everybody at church, but you're not fooling God. Come on, let's, let's, let's get an aha moment of all aha moments. Don't call Jesus your master when really you're obeying your flesh. That's your master. He says you can't do it. You either serve one or the other. You despise one or the other. And it's this faithfulness to decide who am I serving? Because when I sin, it's not just this casual, oh, I did something wrong. It's personal. It's against Jesus himself. And when I am faithful in my heart and my mind, it's personal. It's the Jesus himself. I'm attached either with him and for him in in this relationship or I am over here and and just kind of want him to stay at arm's length. It is is important because we can, we can, we we think we can ride this, this line and we can't. And you know what? Even today, you can take some of these principles that you've learned today and you, you, you can write them down. We, we, like, we like life being brought down into simple things, right? Five best ways to change your kid's behavior. You know, you click on that. Ooh, what's that one? Six ways to lose weight. Ooh, I don't like that one. Where's the three ways to lose weight? I like only three. I don't want, six is too many, too much work. You know, give me three ways and I'll do that. You know what I'm saying? We, we want everything simplified into steps, And even today, we want our Christianity that way. How can I overcome Satan? How can I break this addiction that I have? How can I break this sin that I have that I I find myself doing over and over? What is the tool? What's the secret? And you may think, oh, I need to be more in the word. I need to be more. Those are a lot of truths to all that. There's a lot of, you can take these three principles and apply them. And you can go out of this building and you say, I'm ready to go. I've got, the armor. I've got this armor stuff on and I've got this Bible. I can commit to reading the Bible more. I'm going to do all this. And you're going to walk right out of here and Satan's going to run over you with a freight train. Because as Christians, we, 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 we grasp a hold of principles and we leave Jesus behind. Don't we understand? This, this is really about Jesus. And Jesus' presence in my life. And Jesus' power that overcomes. And Jesus who has the authority over the evil one. And it's Jesus who's the one who reveals what is good and bad. It is Jesus and his power of his presence that allows us to stand before the evil one. Not on our own feet, but because of our identity. We've been covered by the blood of Christ. We have been set free from sin. We shall sin no more. And that is what the, the process of the presence of God that is in our life. It is the person of Jesus that we long to know and long to follow. And, and the principles, they'll come along. But if we only grab a hold of principles and not the person, then we have not. We have not submitted and surrendered to that which gives us everlasting life. Paul calls everything rubbish compared to Christ. Let us cling to Christ. Let us cling to the one who wins who overcomes. We see it in this text, we see it on the cross, and we see it in the empty tomb. That's the Jesus who goes, walk with me. Come, walk with me, and you will know victory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you've made yourself known. Awaken our hearts and our soul. Move us. Allow us not to be half-hearted, but wholehearted. Allow us, Father, to serve you And may we cling to Christ and let everything else fall along the wayside. Thank you, Jesus, for the redemption that we have. Thank you that you are faithful. And because of that, we too, Father, can know how to overcome. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.